Um, so I don't know about you, but um, I guess my expectations of the last year have uh, changed um, quite a lot. I remember um, March last year was Imogen's birthday. My parents had visited and it was the main topic of conversation, um, the coming pandemic. And uh, my mum, in a typical style, said, life will never be the same again. And of course, we all um, put it down to a glass half empty attitude and typical prophet of doom sort of mentality. Um, but she proved much more, more right than we could have predicted. And our, our expectations of a few weeks of lockdown and a few weeks of disruption have obviously turned into something much bigger. And um, thinking about expectations again today, and uh, there were two questions as I prepared uh, reading this passage in Mark that, uh, that came to mind. And one was, what are our expectations of Jesus? And what are Jesus' expectations of us? Um, so if we, if, I mean, we're all very familiar with the story of the, the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And I just want to, for a minute, just uh, try and Im imagine being in the, cry, the crowd and imagine the scene there. Obviously, it's difficult to imagine being in a crowd at the moment, um, but uh, we've all seen uh, whether or not we've um, met famous people before. I've never been in a sort of red carpet situation, but we've seen it on the television, things like uh, American political rallies and um, maybe carnival or Mardi Gras in Brazil. And we can, we can imagine the sort of festival atmosphere and the sense of anticipation as Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem. The, the crowds have heard of him. They may have seen some of his miracles or heard his teaching. And the, the fact that he's riding this donkey, which as we heard in um, mini Zoom earlier on, was a, was a prophecy of the king coming into Jerusalem. We can, uh, we can see the, the crowds gathering in who, who've um, come to Jerusalem in preparation for the Passover. And so the, the, the city is full. And people begin, to, as, as Jesus travels down the road, people begin to spread cloak, cloaks on the ground. And there's a reference to this in the Old Testament with one of the kings, Jehu, um, as he is crowned, the, his followers put cloaks on the ground as a makeshift red carpet. And they're also gathering branches, which was something that was instructed to do in the, the festival of tabernacles. It says in, in Leviticus that uh, they are to cut down luxuriant branches and palm branches and leafy branches as an act of celebration. It is a, it is an act of rejoicing. And, and then the psalm that they are that they're quoting, is Psalm 118. And it is a psalm about uh, God bringing military victory. A psalm. It's a song of triumph. It talks of. And being surrounded by our enemies, but cutting them off. And the words uh, that are quoted are from Psalm 118, 25. And we hear the word Hosanna, which means God save us. Lord save us, Lord grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
from the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God and he has made his light shine on us with bows, with bows in hand, join in the feastal procession, procession up to the horns of the altar. So that's the psalm they're quoting, this psalm of celebration, but also of military victory, a psalm of expectation of God's salvation for his people. And so it's a bit um, uh, unusual, perhaps, that as you can imagine this sense of anticipation and expectation, uh, Jesus riding into the center of Jerusalem and then up to the temple, that when he arrives there, in Mark's account, he has a little look around and then leaves. And it's almost like an anticlimax because um, surely the very least we could have expected was a sermon or maybe the crowds were expecting the announcement of a rebellion against the Roman rule. But we don't see any of that, at least uh, in Mark's account. Um, he has this, just this quick look around the temple. Maybe he's having a look at what's going on there. And then he leaves. And um, one of the themes of Mark's gospel as he writes under the influence of the Holy Spirit, this account of Jesus' ministry is that of misunderstanding. And you see over and over again, the crowds, the religious leaders, Jesus' own family, and uh, even the disciples misunderstanding who Jesus is and what his mission is. The closest uh, we get to understanding is when Jesus says, you are the Christ, uh, sorry, Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then a minute later, he's telling Jesus off because he's uh, predicting his own suffering. And Jesus has to rebuke him and say, uh, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. And um, my, the first question I had um, when reading this passage was, what are our expectations of Jesus? And what are What's our understanding of Jesus' purpose and mission? In Romans 12, Paul writes that we must not have our mind, must not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but have our minds trans, be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we might understand what God's will is. And I think that's uh, one of the, you know, the, one of the questions that uh, I've started asking. And when I, I was preparing this, I, I felt convinced that that was a question needed asking, but I'm not entirely sure um, what the application for, for me and or for the church more broadly is at the moment. But the question, what, what are our expectations of Jesus? And I think one of the answers is that too often uh, our expectations of Jesus are, and of God and his work in the world our expectations are too small and um, God has far greater plans than we can imagine. God has more to offer us than we can ask or imagine. I think sometimes my daily expectations of Jesus is that he will just support me in my goals and my uh, plans and, and one challenge is to uh, be willing to set those aside for what Jesus and what for our Lord might have planned for us. 
So that was the the, the first question um, that came to, to mind from this passage. One of the uh, one of the clear um, purposes of Christ that Mark portrays throughout his gospel is that he want, he's come to confront sin and to, the, to confront the power of sin and the effects of sin in the world. That is the work of bringing his kingdom in. And Mark starts his gospel with a couple of quotes from the Old Testament, one of which is from, from Malachi. And I, I'll just read a few verses from Malachi chapter three. Um, it's, he's referring to John the Baptist as being the messenger that comes before Jesus. And uh, he quotes Malachi chapter three, which says, I will, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then sudden, suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant, covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will, and then later on in verse five, it says, so I will come to you, I will come to you to put you on trial. And I think Mark, Mark quotes this, this verse, this, this section, part of this section, the start of his gospel in order to set the scene uh, of Jesus coming. Um, but he's coming in judgment. And whether or not this, uh, uh, understanding whether this that prophecy has was has been fulfilled or if there's yet fulfillment to come uh, is not the primary uh, point but the idea that Jesus has come to confront sin and firstly that to confront the sin of Israel his own people and, and it talks of uh, needing to purify the Levites and the priests those who are the religious leaders who should have been ex examples and to confront the social injustice of the nation of Israel. And so Mark eventually has Jesus come to his temple. Um, and initially, he's, he just looks around. It's a, almost as if he's examining it. And then before he comes again, we have this short um, interaction with a, with a fig tree. And it's a... It, it's a picture, uh, whilst Jesus goes on to use it as an encouragement to, uh, to trust and to say that anyone who can, uh, has faith can, do, uh, can curse a fig tree and see it wither. But it's also a picture of Jesus coming to look at Israel, at, at Jerusalem, to see the fruitfulness, to see if there's any fruit there. And he finds nothing. He comes to examine to look at his people and he finds them wanting. And it's a picture of Israel's failings, of Israel's sin, that Israel was meant to be a light to the world, that it was a place where all the nations could come and learn of God, that they would, that they would be the, a beacon of God's truth that would draw all the nations to come and know God. And Israel had failed over and over again. And he comes in, Jesus comes into the temple and, 
I found it interesting uh, listening over again to this passage when it talks about um, Jesus throwing out the money changers and the sellers. It, use, it uh, uses the word, uh, he drove them out. He was driving out those. And the, the Greek word is ekbalo, which is the same word that is used when Jesus is driving out uh, demons. And it's that, that same confrontation with sin and confrontation with the power of sin that is at hold. That he's, Jesus, through his ministry, has driven out demons and driven out evil spirits. And now he's driving out the presence of sin in God's own temple. And probably this is in the court of the Gentiles, the pla a place where Gentiles could come and worship and pray, those who weren't Jews. And in that place, which was the only place that they could come, instead, uh, there's the, this symbol of Jewish idolatry in a way that whilst the Jews no longer worship in ba Baal and false gods, their, their worship of the true God, um, at least by those who should have known better, has become superficial. It's just a facade hiding their own self-interest. And Jesus has to confront this sin and this presence of evil as well. And so this was the other question that I had. The first was, what are our expectations of Jesus? And then the second is, what are Jesus' expectations of us? And uh, are we like that tree that Jesus comes to look for fruit and finds nothing? Jesus has come um, ultimately to confront sin and evil. And um, one question that we are not necessarily more so at this time, but always that we need to be um, looking at ourselves and asking ourselves is, are there sin, sins in our lives that Jesus wants to confront? Or are there um, effects of God's, uh, sorry, effects of sin, effects of e evil that may not be our own guilt, but that are present in our lives that Jesus wants to confront and to drive out. Thankfully, we are not, um, our, our position with God is not dependent on uh, how well we manage our sin and whether we deal with our own sin. Though we, we are encouraged to put to death the sins of the body. And um, for me, reading this passage again and thinking about that question, it just uh, brought an opportunity to ask myself, are there things that Jesus wants to, to remove or to deal with in my life? Uh, and I know uh, for myself particularly, and I don't know whether it's the effect of the last 12 months that perhaps that I found um, myself being less patient at home. And so that, you know, that for me, that has been a, a, a challenge uh, that maybe that is something God wants to, to deal with at the moment. But we look, we look ahead from, from Palm Sunday to Jesus um, coming uh, triumphantly into Jerusalem, receiving the praise he's, he's due, though, though facing the misunderstanding of both the crowds and the Jewish leaders. We look ahead uh, just a few days later to where 
uh, Jesus is being is being mocked and the shouting has turned from praise to insult. And we see Jesus' ultimate confrontation with evil, that, that on the cross, Jesus bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness, that he in dying disarmed e the evil powers. And we put our trust in Jesus um, who has already dealt with our sin, that the, the power of sin has been uh, defeated ultimately. So those are the, the two questions that I, I had to leave with us. Firstly, what are our expectations of Jesus? What are the things, are there ways in which we have limited him and our view of what he should be doing? Are there ways in which he wants to act in our lives that we um, need to be open to? And then what are Jesus' expectations of us? Or are there things within our lives that he wants to, to address? Are there, is there fruitfulness that he's hoping for um, that he can help to bring to, uh, is there, are there things that he can help to bring to fruition? Um, and we will trust to God that he will um, speak to us through these things. I'll just finish by praying. Lord, Lord Jesus, we thank you um, for your words. And we thank you for your example of humility, uh, but also um, in the ex expectations of the crowd um, and perhaps their disappointment, we can understand and sympathize with that as well. Um, Lord, we want to be people who are open to your will and your ways, that we would have our minds um, transformed so that we can understand your will and see what it is that you want us to be doing, what it is you are doing. And we think uh, um, as the world has been stopped and we're sort of reset, Lord, that maybe there are ways in which you're going to move and to act in, uh, in ways that we hadn't expected. Lord, help us to be open to those things and also uh, open to you challenging us within our own lives. Um, are there things that you want to, to deal with in our hearts, in, a, in our behavior? Are there ways in which you want to, us to re-engage with you? We ask that you'd help us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.